Well, we're uh, continuing our series in the Gospel of John today titled, uh, That You May Believe. And it's a series that has uh, taken us uh, all through the Gospel of John, at least a little bit from every chapter we will have touched by the end of the series. And we'll we'll read the text for the day in a moment, but just a quick frame uh, for the message today. Uh, The claims of Christianity about Jesus are event-based, not idea-based. That's the foundation of this whole thing. In Christmas and Easter, we have distinct uh, claims upon history that something happened in this world that make the foundation of our faith. So as Christians, we don't say that we believe what we do simply because we, we happen to like this faith better than some other faith. Uh, we, we say that we believe what we do because of events of history, the claims of history, and we say that we believe those things actually happened. So th- this whole series is, is based around that. And if those historical claims are true, then they are true for everyone. They're not just people who consider themselves to be Christians now. And since the claims are historical in nature, if they happened Christmas and Easter, this being the Easter season, we'll focus on the claim of resurrection. If, in fact, we do live in a world where a resurrection has happened, that is the most important historical fact for every single human being on planet Earth. And if the answer is, yes, Jesus was raised from the dead, then it means that God has done something definitively in this world to show us who he is, what he's like, and what he's up to in this world. And not just kinda, like real deal about what's really happening in life right now. We can know that. Now toward toward the end of chapter 14, Jesus introduced uh, to his disciples the Holy Spirit. And he said this, Jesus is speaking here, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus promised that he would send the spirit of truth, the spirit of God, the, the Holy Spirit, to live with his followers and to be in his followers, the people who've placed their trust in Christ. So in this way, Jesus said he would continue to be present with his disciples in a way that they would not feel abandoned, like like orphans. And today we look at the the last couple verses of chapter 15 and the first 15 verses of chapter 16, where Jesus begins describing to his disciples what the Holy Spirit will do, the, the role the Holy Spirit will play in their lives. So let's listen to that scripture now. The scripture this morning is from John 15, beginning with verse 26 through John 16, 15. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, 
you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Eleanor. So we're, we're going to think about what the Holy Spirit does, the role of the Spirit in the life of a follower of Jesus. But we'd be remiss to dive into that without uh, first remembering who the Holy Spirit is. So just a quick touch upon that. In his classic book, How to Be Filled with the Holy Spirit, A.W. Tozer wrote this. Many of us have grown up on the theology that accepts the Spirit as a person, even as a divine person, but for some reason it never did us any good. Right? There's, a, there's a belief in the head that somehow is less actualized in people's lives, it appears, more recently, Francis Chan wrote a book titled Forgotten God, subtitle, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. John Stott called the Holy Spirit, quote, the neglected person of the Godhead. So these authors are all onto something, right? I mean, most of us in the Western church likely need to examine how we think about and relate to the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity. This is kind of a big deal. In Reformed and evangelical branches of the church, sometimes our Trinity can lean toward Father, Son, and Holy Scripture. Right? Don't get me wrong, I have a very high view of Scripture. But the Bible is not God. The Bible points to the one we worship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I've heard the Trinity compared to a three-legged stool, probably a very poor illustration, but it was a helpful idea to me in, in this idea I'm trying to convey. A three-legged stool, imagine it, you know, when you sit on it, it can hold your weight and it feels stable, right? Imagine taking off one of those legs and trying to sit on that stool. You'd be fighting it the whole time, right? Uh, I, I think 
it's probably easier to continue in faith if you have a full three-legged stool, right? Put your full weight down. We've been rehearsing throughout this series why the Apostle John wrote his gospel. He told us in chapter 20 that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That, That word believe refers to trust. The response God wants from us is one of faith, one of trust, resting our full weight upon everything that the Lord has done for us. Now imagine two-legged stool versus three-legged stool. Just in terms of our thinking and internal reality, we're not not taking the Holy Spirit away no matter what we think, right? So before we dive into what the Holy Spirit does, just very quickly, what the Bible says about who the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is God. Not just a message carrier, not just a go-between between God and us, the Holy Spirit is God. A lot more to say there, but that's what the scripture says. And the Holy Spirit is a person, not a thing. And, and you know it, you've probably made the mistake, just like I have at times, referring to the Holy Spirit as an it. Um, now, if you came up to me and referred to one of my sons as an it, I'd kind of look at you, slant, and, well, that's a little weird. <laughs> They're people. Our, our, our misuse of language telegraphs our misunderstanding of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. We can relate and interact with people. So, Holy Spirit is God, Holy Spirit is a person. So with that very basic foundation, what does the Holy Spirit do? Uh, First in general, and then as detailed by our passage today. So the role of the Holy Spirit in general I mean, simply put, the role of the Spirit is to continue the work of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, and the Spirit continues the work of Jesus. Remember what Jesus said when he first introduced his disciples uh, to the Holy Spirit. I I read this from John 14. Jesus speaking, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So we'll keep that scripture up on the screen for a moment and let me just break that down. I will ask, said Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is given given at, at the request of Jesus. He will give, meaning God will give, will give. The Holy Spirit is a gift. He will give another advocate. In the original language, that word for another did not simply mean an other, like something a little different, the language referred to an exact copy of the original. So what Jesus is saying here is, uh, I will ask the Father to give you an exact copy of me to live with you and in you. So the meaning is not just an other, but an exact duplicate living within us. So God will give Christians a Jesus replica to do what? Well, to be with you forever. The text says it's right there. Jesus said it. So not just until the end of your earthly life, not just until the time Jesus returns, Jesus said, I will ask the Father to give you another advocate, 
to help you and be with you forever. Now, how will that Jesus replica be with us? He lives with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit, that Jesus replica, lives with us and in us. Now, remember, who is the Holy Spirit? God and a person. So here's the deal. You know, Jesus asks, the Father gives the Spirit to live with us and in us. So the Holy Spirit continues the work of Jesus by living with and in those who trust Jesus. This is important because the, the, the work of Jesus doesn't continue in the world through just some foggy spiritual stuff. Right? It's largely advanced through the church, through those followers of Jesus in the world who are guided by the Spirit. So, just to be clear, those who trust Christ, you know, by, by God's grace through faith in Jesus have been made right with God, are united with Christ and have an exact duplicate of Jesus, a person who is God living with us and in us all the time, wherever we are, no matter the level of challenge we are experiencing or the level of suffering we are enduring with us all the time. A duplicate of Jesus. Not only helping us in general, but guiding and empowering the possibility of a Jesus-like response to every situation we encounter and every person with whom we interact. Can I say that one again? The Holy Spirit living within us empowering and guiding the possibility of a Jesus-like response to every situation we encounter and every person with whom we interact. That's why Jesus could say this. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, what Jesus was saying here was that his physical presence would be replaced by something far greater. You know, one author put it this way, whereas Jesus in the flesh could be in only one place at a time, the Holy Spirit can be everywhere at once. Limited access to the presence of God would give way to continual communion with him. Think about that. Limited access to continual communion. This is something entirely new, an entirely different way to live. The Holy Spirit continues the work of Jesus in us and in the world. That gets to the specifics of what our text says today. And that distinction of the Spirit's work is what Jesus described. Let's look at it again. Here's what Jesus said. When he, referring to the Holy Spirit now, comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So that, that, that phrase uh, translated in, in the NIV here, uh, will prove the world to be in the wrong, is, is the same word that's translated uh, conviction, to bring conviction. In, in other places. So it could read like this. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin and, and judgment, and, uh, righteousness and, and judgment. So the Holy Spirit brings conviction. Conviction of what? Conviction of our sin. 
meaning our guilt before God. Guilt is not, Christians believe that guilt is not just a psychological experience that we should press down. Christians believe that guilt is an actual real thing and that before the eyes of God, we are guilty because of our sin. Uh, The Holy Spirit brings conviction about righteousness. And in this sense, I think referring to our helplessness to remove our own guilt. That we we can't make ourselves right with God. That we can't achieve righteousness on our own. And the Holy Spirit will bring conviction around judgment. Meaning our dangerous underestimate of the consequences of our guilt. Is it really that big of a deal? And Jesus said very clearly, he came to save us. So clearly in Jesus' eyes, it's a big deal. And we needed saving. Now, there are some very important implications to this truth that the Holy Spirit brings conviction. Uh, I just, three came to my mind. First, it's the Holy Spirit's role to bring conviction, not ours. I I remember uh, this, this story when President Clinton had a significant moral failing and the whole evangelical world was up in arms. And remember, Billy Graham was then the counselor to the presidents at that, at that time. He continued in that role. And uh, Billy Graham was just taking heat from the church. Like, how can, how can you stick with this guy? He's so, he's so bad. He's so, you, should, you should bail on him. Get out of there. Don't advise this president. He, and I, I, don't, I don't know if you remember this. I so remember uh, the, the, sta- the statement that he made and how it ended the entire conversation in the Christian world. He, he simply got up and, and at some kind of news conference said, well, it, you know, it's my understanding that it's God's job to judge people, the Holy Spirit's job to bring conviction to people, and my job to love people. Mm-hmm. End of conversation. It just, it just went away. Now, uh, now that, that does not mean that Christians don't speak truth to others. Jesus modeled the way we're to live with grace and truth. So this isn't backing off the truth thing. It's simply about this idea that if we are trying to make another person experience conviction or feel conviction about their guilt before God, about their need for the gospel or about their eternal destiny or something like that, you're trying to sneak in front of the Holy Spirit and do the Holy Spirit's job for him. And guess what? You're not qualified for that job. You're over-functioning. And if I'm being direct, most likely alienating yourself from the very person you're trying to get to experience conviction. It's the wrong way to go about it. That's not how Jesus did it. Maybe your time would be better spent praying for that person or just having them over for dinner. Second, the Holy Spirit brings conviction, not condemnation. There's a big difference here. You all know about the inner dialogue because we all have it going on all the time. And I don't know what it's like in your inner dialogue right now. I know that mine is, it's just constant. It's constant. Mine often feels to me like a courtroom battle and sides are making their case this way and, and that way. I'm so grateful for my first pastor at a church up in Traverse City who helped me understand that the Lord brings conviction, 
the adversary brings condemnation. So if in the inner dialogue, you're feeling the voice of conviction, uh, which means, you know, something coming to us as feedback on something we need to do or, or clarity on a thin slice of something we did wrong and we need to make right, that's conviction. Condemnation is more in the realm of, you know, blanket statements of worthlessness or shame or, you know, like, oh, if they only knew, you're such a poser. You know, all, all that that goes on in there. Uh, see, we, we need to listen and respond to the voice of conviction and we need to battle back the voice of condemnation, repeating Romans 8, 1 and 2, right? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. No condemnation. Um, for another time, the Bible actually gives us a spiritual practice to engage in 2 Corinthians 10, that whole bit about taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. This is how to engage the battle of the inner dialogue. But we'll, we'll do a class or something on that sometime. So third, while it's not our role to bring conviction to others, the Holy Spirit will confront the world through his community of Christ followers on earth. So we've got a role to play in the way God might bring conviction, but like it's not our job. Chuck Swindoll put it this way. The child of God living on this earth, empowered by the Spirit of God, is a living letter observed by the world. As the world witnesses the child of God being controlled by the Spirit, the world observes a life undergoing transformation. I so appreciate that phrase because it doesn't say observes a life that is complete and fully accomplished spiritually, right? Observes a life that is undergoing transformation. We are not perfect examples to the world. We are called to be living examples to the world of what it means to follow Jesus in all of our imperfection. The world is confronted by the Holy Spirit via his activity in believers. When people see that authentic struggle in us and the transformation happening, they know it's something bigger than, than us. So in this way, the world will come to conviction about sin, their, their guilt before God, conviction about righteousness, their helplessness to do anything about that guilt, and conviction about judgment, their underestimate of the severity of the situation. So the Holy Spirit convicts the world in order to bring about repentance, a change of thinking, and a return to God, right? And the second part, the Holy Spirit has a ministry to Christ followers, to those who trust Jesus. Look at what Jesus said. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The Holy Spirit guides us toward a more Jesus-shaped life, a life that looks increasingly like Jesus was living our life in our place. Right, the Spirit does that by guiding us into all truth, by calling scripture to mind, by illuminating scripture, helping us understand what it means, and then helping us understand how to apply this to our lives, what it means for us in, in our current situation. So, through the Holy Spirit living within us, we have the presence, guidance, and voice of God continually with us, right? Continual communion. I mean, that, that's amazing. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, it, it gets back to that, 
that thing those authors were onto at the beginning, like John Stott, the Holy Spirit being the neglected person of the Godhead. As followers of Jesus, as, as those people who believe that Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be, that he was raised from the dead in his body, that he is alive this very instant of time, that, that none of this is a religious game or, or show or anything, as people who by God's grace and through faith in Jesus have been united with Christ and have tasted the truth that God lives within us by the Holy Spirit. The person of God in the Holy Spirit living right, right here. We have to ask ourselves, how are we neglecting the person living within You ever had these moments where you kind of think about your faith and and your life and you think, man, there's so much more. There's so much more. I'm so mindful of the ways that I can just press the spirit down, turn my back on the person living within. So what are we to do? Gladly, the Bible has some pretty clear instruction. Paul says in Ephesians, uh, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, an imperative statement. And, and uh, you know, we, we read that and in English, which is far less complex than Greek, the original language of this thing. It, it appears that it could be a one-time thing. Be filled, like I'm gonna get filled and then I'm gonna be good. Uh, the, the verb tense in the Greek refers to be filled, and go on being filled. It's kind of like when you turn your windshield wipers on your car, you don't just boop, boop, one time and call it good. If it's raining, you got to turn them on and they keep boop, 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 boop. That's this. Go on being filled with the Spirit. Uh, there's a difference between receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit when you trust Christ and going on in being filled by the Spirit. And this, this is a seeking of the Lord. I mean, think about what Jesus said in, in Luke 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I take that to mean just ask. It certainly appears to be God's great desire and, and, and great pleasure to say yes to this. I mean, after all, the entire trajectory of the gospel is about God forgiving our sin, paying a debt that we owed but could never pay, not just to kind of get us clean so we could go do our own thing, but to draw us back into a full relationship with God. This is not a transactional thing, it's a relational thing, and God did it so that we might be in relationship with God. I mean, God's desire is for that relationship to be restored. And, and that relationship, if, if you've given your life over to Jesus and know what it is to trust him, and none of us are perfect in that, but if you've taken that initial step of faith, that relationship is happening in you right now. And that relationship, remember the Holy Spirit's going to be with us forever, 
right? That relationship is, is our life and God's glory. So don't press down the spirit. You know, if you hear God's voice in your heart today, don't harden your hearts like we as God's people have a tendency to do. Lean in. I, I so remember a, a dear, dear friend of mine, one of, my, one of my very best friends ever actually, was a guy I met here in Grand Rapids named Fred DeYoung. And he, Fred died probably a couple years ago. He, he got a rare kind of cancer and he battled it for several years. And throughout that time, we'd meet for coffee over at Roasters, good coffee, right? And when, whenever he was able to do that. And our last meeting, just a few months before he died, we were, we were sitting across the table from one another. I'll never forget this. He was dying, he knew it. But man, he was bright-eyed and all smiles. He kind of leaned over me and he said, John, John, if anything is pulling you away from Jesus, get rid of it big smile. Eternal perspective. If anything is pulling you away from Jesus, get rid of it. That's not the life that we're living. It's not the life Jesus died to give us. That's not the life into which the Holy Spirit living within us is guiding us. I, I I had a friend challenge me, it's a long time ago now, probably 10 years, to to try to read the Bible in 90 days. And I just, I thought it was crazy. I like to read more slowly. Uh, but I did it. Turns out I loved it once or twice. I mean, you don't want to read that fast all the time. But one thing I took away from reading the Bible that quickly was two big themes that emerge in Scripture. Seek the Lord and bless the world. If you read Scripture fast, you cannot escape those two themes. Seek the Lord and bless the world. There are multiple passages in the Bible about seeking the Lord. What does that mean? It means going after God, pursuing. Uh, you know, think of the Proverbs that say, pursuing as, as you would for hidden treasure. A huge score, right? Go after it like that, with that kind of commitment and, and that kind of passion and that kind of tenacity. Seek the Lord. And seeking the Lord does not simply mean accumulating more information about God or or the Christian faith. Seeking the Lord means seeking God's presence. Because, you know, biblically we understand that God himself is our very great reward. Not some other kind of understanding or becoming more knowledgeable. All that's important, don't get me wrong, but that's not the end game. And if, if the point is seeking God's presence and God the Spirit is already living right here, You know, you you don't have far to go. We want to focus on what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. The, The Bible says the Holy Spirit is God, a person who lives with us and in everyone who trusts Jesus. Jesus said that it would be to our benefit if he left and this exact copy of himself came and took up residence within us. The Bible instructs us to Continue seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit in an ongoing way. And the Bible tells us that that the Holy Spirit living within will give gifts to the body that when we all come together and function together, we'll we'll make for like a holistic witness to the world. 
So what should we do? What, what, what might you try this week? And I, I challenge you to do this. Pray for filling. Like Jesus said, you know, if, if a father or mother gives good gifts to their kids, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So ask. Simply say, God, would you please pour out your spirit on me, on us today and help us. And listen for guidance. How is God getting my attention? What is God saying to me? What am I going to do about it? That's the next one, which is this, risk obedience. What am I going to do about it? You know, step out in faith and follow those promptings. Once you've talked with other believers and they've confirmed that you're barking up the right tree and not just thinking your own thoughts. Right? We do this in community, not alone. So Christians believe in the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And the Bible is very clear. For those who trust Jesus, the Spirit lives right here. You know, Jesus is alive right now. The Holy Spirit is continuing his work with us and in us. And we are invited to seek the Holy Spirit in life now and every day moving forward. So let's go on being filled with the Spirit. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. God, you are good. You are so good. Uh, we, we catch glimpses. You give us glimpses by, by your ministry in us through the Spirit. Uh, we, we perceive kind of hints and guesses of the full kingdom life that will be ours uh, eternally. Uh, but Lord, we want, we want more now. Would you please pour out your spirit on us and help us see what you're doing in us, in those around us. God, pour out your spirit on us to, to advance your work in us that our lives would look more like Jesus uh, uh, daily, that there'd be growth. God, thank you that you're patient with us. Thank you that you, you know that we're works in progress. Thank you that you're, you're okay with that and you love us in the midst of it. Uh, God, we want to follow Jesus, not just think well of him. Help us in that. Uh, we ask in his name. Amen.